0: Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today is a two-time Emmy Award winner, TV show creator, executive producer, and a keynote speaker. It's Dave Knoll. How are you doing today, Dave?
1: I am, now I'm thrilled after that introduction. I was not doing great today, but now I'm like, wait a second, you're fantastic, relax.
0: (laughs) I'm excited to talk to you and learn all about your Rise to the Challenge. What we like to do first is go right to being. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up.
1: I grew up in the tiny little town in Jersey called uh, Belvedere, and um, Belvedere was nowhere. It, it's on the on the edge of Jersey, right on the Delaware River, uh, basically Jersey and Pennsylvania. A little town in the middle of nowhere. We used to say because it's true. You would pass like 32 farms. And you'd make a left, and then you'd pass like 11 more farms and you'd go over a hill. And then this uh, Belvedere is this little, beautiful, little place to grow up. And uh, what was I into? I was into TV. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My well. mom laughs because she would always say, you know, that I watched too much TV. <laughs> and now I'm like, see, yeah. it was all right. I would make TV lists. I would do, I would, I was obsessed. I was obsessed. I would rush home, obviously, to watch my favorite shows and all that other stuff. But I would make, the crazy thing I would do is I would make lists of what were the most popular shows of the week, or I would do my own grid. Here's what, here's how I would program the networks, ABC and CBS or NBC or Fox. I did crazy things. And it all, you know, it worked out in the end, I guess.
0: What were those shows that caught your attention that you were always rushing home to go watch?
1: It's like, I loved things, and now I look back and it all makes sense. I loved Letterman, and that, you know, that's it's a talk show, I loved it. I loved Family Feud. I thought Family Feud was amazing. I loved Hollywood Squares. Uh, my brother is an actor, and... Um, and he's a working actor he's he's been uh, an actor for i don't know 20 years and um he was on hollywood squares as the top center square wow and it was i'm like this is the greatest moment ever I, this is amazing but so that you know i i i watched those types of sh- i mean i also loved uh sitcoms and i loved Cop shows, or you know, whatever was the big show of the time. I like big popular shows, like I do now. Um, but I really loved game shows more than the average kid, and I really loved Letterman um, in a in a deep, deep way.
0: <laughs> when you were watching those game shows, were you always envisioning yourself that when I grow up, I want to be a contestant on there, or it was more just being in the audience, just watching it? Uh, I
1: when you like when you grow up in Belvedere you th- Hollywood and t- it seemed like a dream it, it it seemed like another literally another galaxy kind of like Star Wars it literally was like Star Wars was one galaxy and then that TV place where there's Letterman and Hollywood squares and comedians and hosts that seemed like another world entirely
0: when you were living in a small town, was watching TV the only thing that was available, or were you someone that actually tried other activities to expand your skills in a way?
1: I mean, I played baseball. I, you know, I, I did other things. Uh, I loved movies too, though. So it was like, and the the closest movie theater I think was half hour away. Wow! So it was a hike to get to the like it was a it was a special occasion. Uh, It was like a holiday to, to actually get a chance to go to the movies, but we love, I I loved movies. Uh, And then what else did I do? I, that was it. But I played, you know, I ran around the park and the (laughs) cornfields.
0: Do you think living in a small town helped you gain like skills and stuff? Than if you were living in a city or a big town in a way,
1: I'll tell you what it definitely gave me because Cleve, the woman I work with and we create shows together. The one thing we both have in common is we came from these really, really tiny, tiny towns. And I think, and it, maybe it's just coincidental, but what Cleve and I have is just this amazing sense that we're lucky every day. Like, and so in TV where there's so much, uh, you know, I mean, I, I for lack of a better word, disappointment. There's people passing, there's people saying no, there's you know people turning down your shows constantly. What helps is the feeling of we're just thrilled to be in the game. We're thrilled to be pitching, we're thrilled to be creating. Oh my gosh, when we get a show and we're producing it on the Paramount lot, we're thrilled every single day. Or it just we've produced shows in the greatest studios in the world and in the worst studios in the world <laughs> and we're thrilled every single time like if i walk into the crappiest studio ever but it's a show that i created and and you know our friends at this point are creating the set and you know somebody we know now is hosting the show it's it's all amazing like we just have a blast. And I think a lot of that comes from that we came from these tiny, tiny towns and just thought of television and movies and all of it as a different world. And it's a it's a wonderful thing just to be invited to the game.
0: Taking that same concept, was it always that you were goal-driven where you knew that it was all gonna go up from where you were at that time?
1: I am like, it's one of those things that you don't even, when you're in your, at least for me, when I was in my twenties and in my thirties, I didn't even realize how goal driven I was. It was literally, it's just literally something I've always done. And at, at every turn of pitching shows and creating shows and producing shows, I just, from the very beginning, have always had this headspace of, we need more shows. We need more shows. What's the next show. What's the next show. What's the next show. Um, my the first one of the first big shows I sold, if not the first big show I sold, I guess was um, when I was at in college at American university, I hosted a late night talk show because I was Letterman obsessed. And they had, they said the studio is available on Tuesday nights. No one was using it. And I was like, no one's using it. Okay. We can do anything. And they're like, within reason, you can do anything. So um, I created this show called Midnight with Dave Knoll, and it was a week, weekly show. And, then, and they used to put it on at midnight every night. So the original episode, the, the, the premiere episode was Tuesday nights at midnight, and then they would just do repeats the rest of the week. And um, my show was decent. It was fine. Uh, we did a lot of like really fun, creative things, which was cool. And we were in DC. So we actually had people to interview that were interesting. Um, but then what I learned is then my brother came along and he did the show 10 times better because he's 10 times funnier and more <laughs> entertaining. And uh, so the first show, though, I ever, well, that was the first show I ever created that, you know, lasted because it was, we did it at, at school. But it, what was cool was by the time he graduated, i was working at mtv and vh1 in the in mtv networks building and he and i put together a tape of his greatest moments and we sold that show it took us a couple of years but we sold that show to comedy central and it was their first late night talk show and so my brother was the host um but i learned a painful lesson which was we had that show you know it, it, we it was, it took such a long time to get the pilot. Then we finally got the pilot. Then it took such a long time to get a a series and they ordered 10 episodes and we couldn't believe it. We were so shocked. And then it took such a long time to make those 10 episodes. And we were just thrilled every single flipping day, like could not believe it. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, they're, they're talking about how you're on the bubble, but your ratings are great and they're doing better and the show's so wonderful and we're really passionate about it and everybody loves it. And then they call and they say, we're canceling it and we're not gonna go to second, you know, second season. And you have that insane realization that all that work was, it's gone, it's over. I forget who it was, but there was some TV executive, legendary TV executive from back in the day, who basically said, it's like we're building sandcastles and you build this gorgeous sandcastle, but overnight the, the water comes in, the waves come in and they knock it down. And that is kind of how it feels sometimes. Um, now there's streaming and the episodes can live on and whatever, but it that... We made we worked so hard on those 10 episodes and they were and they were you know I, I look back now and I' we did so many things right. but we got canceled. So then you're all of a sudden left with this feeling of like, oh my gosh, there's nothing left. We did all that work and now it's gone. Um, and so that also instilled in me right you know from a at that point a very young age, early in my career, you always need more shows. You need more shows. If you're going to compete in television, you need more ideas every single day. You need to keep pitching. You need to keep selling. You need to keep getting development deals. You need to keep getting new pilots. And each one has to be amazing, right? You can't have a uh, one that's not very good. So you're trying to create the greatest show of all time every single day for the last two decades. That's basically what I've been doing.
0: Growing up, did you have any motivations or someone that you inspired to be or someone that was an inspiration for you?
1: Not like it was literally just the people on TV. Like you'd look at Letterman and go, wow. But it wasn't, there was no sense of like, oh, I'd love to work on a show like that someday. I had not literally, it was only, I remember, I mean, I remember when I was, uh, I think I was a sophomore in high school, maybe even a junior in high school. And we were, we were leaving the, the class the bell had rung it was an English class. And, um, my friend Garrett and I were standing there with, uh, Mr. Lux, the English teacher. And, um, Garrett was saying, you know, what are you going to major in in college? And I was like, I have no idea. I literally was like, I don't know. I hear there's a lot of choices. I guess I'll pick one when I get there. And Mr. Luck said, um, you know, because I had done a couple of uh, movies for projects. So he would give us projects based on this book. And I always thought, well, it's easier if I do a movie or some sort of video than if I write a paper. I didn't want to write a paper or take a test. I would do the movie. I would do a, like some sort of funny video. And so he was like, you know, you can major in communications. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, well, you can major in television. And I remember literally laughing. Like, because to me, I was like, well, that's ridiculous. If you could go to college and major in television, There would be no doctors, Mr. Lux. There would be no lawyers because everyone would clearly take the television classes. That doesn't make any sense. And he was like, no. And I was like, honestly, like you're clearly lying to me. You're a liar, sir. And um, he said, no, you can actually major in television. And I, I remember going home and asking my dad, is this a true story? (laughs) <laughs> and if so why have you not told me about this and my dad was like yeah yeah it's called communications and so at that point i was like oh i guess i'll major in tv but even then i never thought i'd actually work in tv it would seemed like amazing and even in dc where you're in you know the nation's capital and then there's this big giant old time television studio at the college and we're making shows i still never dawned on me that like Oh, I, I actually might be working in TV someday.
0: I think I can definitely relate how you Letterman was such a inspiration in the way that it was a talk show and stuff, where I grew up watching TV and I had all these people that I'm like, oh, I would love to meet them. And now I get a platform where I actually got to meet them. <laughs> it's, <a great laughs> feeling. it's like, okay, do I go into fan mode or do I go into I have to be a talk show host in a way I do the- that
1: too. Like we we literally have like Meetings with people to host, you know, a show or whatever. And I'll I'll drop and a halfway through, I'll be like, I just gotta tell you. <laughs> I am such a big fan. You were so great in this movie or whatever. I go crazy. You
0: get the best of both worlds. You
1: get but I still I think it actually, like as I say, I think TV is so tough in its own way, right? There's so much there's so much work that then just disappears that you have to attack it with a, with a with extreme energy, extreme, at least us, extreme energy, extreme positivity, and just enjoy every moment. Yep.
0: When you got into college and you were pursuing communications, Were you finding more excitement each and every day, learning the business, learning the industry, and learning that major?
1: Uh, Not really. Like, they would give us a sign. Like, what I loved was doing the show. I thought the show was great. And then learning was cool. They taught me a lot. (laughs) But... What I loved was actually doing the thing, and you learn so much. Obviously, by putting a show on it, we shot it at nine o'clock on Tuesday nights, uh, <laughs> from nine to ten, and to put the show on from nine to ten, and it was live, and you—that was it. Was that was amazing? And you, le- I learned everything. You know, like you just learned so much about every little tiny aspect of making a TV show.
0: Was there any challenges that you had to overcome during college within that industry?
1: No, the, uh, the big challenge was getting a job. That was it. It, Once then you realized jobs were out there. Um, the big challenge was, well, how am I going to get one of those? And again, this is where I, I am very lucky that, um, I have this ability to not, i must have i wrote 200 letters like and because this you know this was i'm a little bit older than you sir so i I, this was like pre computers (laughs) or cell phones so you wrote letters you know it was like you know wrote letters and call me and leave a message on my machine if you want me to like help out on your show and but again, it was the same thing. Like I knew I was going to get turned down and I knew there was no logical reason that anyone would want to hire me. So I was like, I'll just write these you know, letters and be generous and be respectful. And then eventually um, I got an interview at uh, MTV Networks where uh, I, I started off in their internship program. And I'm just like a whole bunch of us did working at an MTV You start off as an intern and then if you're really good, eventually, hopefully, you get a production assistant job. And then if you're really good and you work really hard, you get an associate producer job and then a segment producer job and then a producer job. And so uh, that's when you actually start to believe, oh, maybe I am good at this. Maybe this isn't some sort of crazy miracle.
0: Talk about that first experience working at MTV as an intern. What was going on through your mind? And were you taking every opportunity?
1: Mind to blowing. Start? It was mind blowing. It was, it was this time period where, um, at at fifteen, the fifteen fifteen building in the middle of Times Square, they had teams of people, and. Literally, I mean, they would say, you know, we got to get a show on by Thursday, and it was Tuesday. So you got to work basically 48 hours straight and sleep in the edit room, we need the show on the air on Thursday. Um, and we just put on so much television, and it had to be high end, right? Like, it, th- these, were major, these are major, ne- these are major networks. So it had to be very kind of high end, glossy, cool television. Um, and that was an amazing well i eventually worked my way to where i was producing um a couple of their the movie shows one was called flicks on VH1 and then one was called hollywood and vinyl uh which i was one of the people who created that show and um it, this it was amazing you the we, i was interviewing you know the biggest celebrities in the world um my kids kind of still can't believe it. We'll be watching some movie and mom will say, Oh dad hung out with Adam Sandler for a couple days. And they'll be like, what? No, you didn't. You're a dorky suburban dad. Um, it was an, that was awesome. Um, and so it, it that, that was just a ton of fun where it was like, all of a sudden you're hanging out with Elton John or you're hanging out with Celine Dion or you're hanging out with Adam Sandler. Um, or uh, Jennifer Lopez, like it, it was unbelievable. And so that was really cool. <laughs> I mean,
0: I'm just amazed at all, all those people. I mean, I would be like, <laughs> um, when am I supposed to ask them?
1: <laughs> it was really fun. That was, it, 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 I, I always say this, for the, at least the first like 15 years of my career, I didn't enjoy it enough at the time. And I didn't take enough pictures. I wish I had taken a lot more pictures and I wish I had enjoyed Now, Cleve and I, we know, we know that to create a Chopped is really impossible. Or even, we have a game show called America Says um, that has been picked up uh, for over 450 episodes. We know that that's impossible. It's impossible. You just got to keep going, keep going, and then bang, maybe it'll happen someday. So we just enjoy every single moment now, and we take a lot of pictures. (laughs) Because we're like, we don't want to forget this day. This is an amazing day. We cannot forget it.
0: Well, nowadays, with everyone having cell phones and cameras, you got that perfect opportunity to take all those photos.
1: It used to drive my mom crazy, because I would meet Adam Sandler, or I would meet George Clooney, or whoever. And she would say, did you get a picture? I'm like, no, I mean, like, like, I can't say, Mr. Clooney, can you take my picture? Now, I wish I could go back in time because I would get a picture with everybody. Like, I would be like, we got to get a picture. I want to remember this moment.
0: Was there any opportunity at MTV or VH1 that you wish you got to be a part of or like a show that you wish you got to be helping with?
1: I was not really only in that, again, very early on, I just found myself pitching shows. So it was not about, Ooh, I wish I was on this opportunity. It was always, Oh shoot. They here's another show that I really love and they turned it down and they'll turn down. I mean, I must've pitched a hundred shows and they picked up three, you know, two or three. Um, And that's, but it was a good lesson to learn because that is TV, right? Like we, um, the passes come in waves for some reason. Um, we were, we got four passes today. I like, I got done to, uh, I, I got done to dinner and my wife was like, how was your day? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> get, get me a drink. Um, but that's, it's the, there's so many that you, you just, you, you have to keep going. You have to, what I like to say is every pass is literally just a step towards a yes. You, you need 29 passes before you get to a yes. And that was from, uh, Brandon Tartikoff who ran NBC in the, you know, at NBC's height, I think it was, uh, the eighties up until 1990, maybe 91. Um, Brandon Tartikoff said, even if you have the greatest show in the world, you're going to have to pitch it 30 times. And so I knew that, you know, I I learned that very early on. And so now I just think of it as, okay, that's the four passes we got today. You know, those are just four more steps. Now we just need 25 more passes and then someone will say yes.
0: Talk about the process of pitching a show. What? How long does it usually take and what are you doing to get yourself prepared to be in front of those executives to pitch it.
1: We create constantly. And when we create a show, every show is built differently. Every show comes to life in a different way. Um, The best description I ever heard was when Paul McCartney was talking about writing songs with John Lennon. And he said, sometimes songs come from, you hear the chorus and you just start to play it. Sometimes it's just a couple of notes, and and that starts it off, and all of a sudden it becomes a hit song. Sometimes there's a line or a phrase or a word or whatever, or a or a guitar riff or a beat that you hear. Sometimes he, sometimes John comes in with something. Sometimes John says something, I say something back, and then all of a sudden it's a hit song. And that's exactly the way shows are created. Cleve and I are constantly talking about songs or shows <laughs> and songs. <laughs> Constantly talking about shows. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? What do you think about this? And then what we find is oftentimes our greatest shows, actually our most long lasting shows kind of come from like three different shows. Like we have this whole show design and this whole show design and this whole show design. And then one day we're like, wait a second, what if we take the hook from this show and like the structure of this show and the title of this show, when we combine it, and then all of a sudden, uh, that's how America's—that is our America. Says came, came to life. It was like, this one show that we created, but we didn't love the title, and we didn't love uh, the structure. This other show, we didn't love the hook. We, and this is other type, we love the title. America says. So we took the title from this and the structure from this and the hook for, and then, and then it happened. And it was, and then it was like I remember we were on the uh, my porch. Cleve had come over, um, to talk about shows and it was like well this is what they're looking for what if we did tick 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 tick, tick and you were just like that could work um, and so then once you have a great show and you know and and sometimes it's we have this great show we're going to go out and pitch it everywhere that we that says yes to the pitch sometimes it's people coming to us and saying hey we're looking for this specifically and then we'll say, okay, what about this? What about this? Um, and so it even that really depends. Every show kind of comes to life in its own way. But what you're waiting for is the moment where they call and they say, we all love the show and we're going to give you a development deal. Or they call and they say, we all love the show. We're going to give you a pilot. Or they say, rare, but it happens. We're going to go straight to the series. And that's the that's what you're really waiting for. You're really waiting for like, ah, let's go to straight to series. That's amazing. Um, but you're constantly, um, working because even when it goes to series, then the next thing you're trying to figure out is how do we get season two? And then the next thing you're trying to figure out is how do we get season three? And then if you're going to season three or four, the next thing you're figuring out is how can we build this brand? How can we come up with chopped chopped junior chopped Canada Chopped sweets, chopped grill masters. you're how do we build it? How do we build it? How do we build it? So it never stops. There's no, it's there's it never ends. You're constantly like, how do we get to the next the next phase? The next phase? The next phase?
0: It's almost like what you guys do with TV shows, where you're building that brand. It's like any company where if they're yep. producing a product line, it's what other directions can we go? And especially chopped with all the different areas they're doing it's just amazing the ideas that you guys are coming up with because it's fitting to okay grill masters well if we're getting into the summer people are coming up with ideas (laughs) to what they can do at their own house so the way you guys are able to take almost it seems so simple but make it amazing it's just an amazing job that you guys have been doing
1: There, there was a point semi recently like five years ago where I was just so crazy frustrated one day. And I was like, we come up with all these like brilliant concepts. And then we, you go to pitch them and it, and then people ask all these questions and they're asking this and it's, and it's like, it's not that complicated. It's gotta be simpler. So then you come up with brilliant concepts that are simpler. And then even then simpler. And I was like, Cleve, it's so frustrating. We have to basically come up with something crazy, unique, but state it in just the simplest way ever so people can understand it. And she's like, well, of course, that's what, that's what advertising is. That's what, that's what a new app is. That's what a new anything is. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess that is, (laughs) that's exact. She's like, that's creating a new brand. It has to, you know, like any brand, Facebook, right? Like everything has to be, at its essence, at its core, a simple thing that either entertains you or, or helps out in some way, everything has to be kind of whittled down to that very simplest thing. And as I say, then, you know, that we, TV is a series of walls that you're just crashing through. Like you're basically just crashing through wall after wall. No, we don't want to do that idea. But what about this? No, we don't want to, What about this? All right, all right. We'll do that idea. Yes, but we don't want to we don't want to go to a pilot. All right, what about this? All right, we do want to Now, all right, but we're not going to series. Bang. What about that? What about that? What about season 2? Go. Um, you know, there's uh, America says on the one hand I'm thrilled, right? It's 450 episodes. On the other hand, I'm like why isn't there in Italy says Why isn't there an Australia says, it's a brilliant show. There's a whole country there, Australia, get on the bandwagon, Australia says, but you know, you gotta sell it and you gotta get someone else to believe in it. And you gotta, you know, there's always, there's always building, building, building. And that's the, um, I get a question a lot like, do you ever have those days where like something happens and you feel like, yes, I've won. And it's like honestly, no. You always kind of feel like, oh, there's another step. There's a, we keep we got to keep going because if you stop, I you at least you feel like if you stop, well then that's it. Then it's okay. Then you got to it can be bigger, it can be bigger. The only time that it really seems great is when you look back and you're like, oh wow, we we've crossed fifty series. We've gotten fifty series on the air. There was. I, we didn't even know that had happened. I just counted one day. We were so focused on the episodes. There was a point where we were like, Someday we'll get a thousand episodes. Someday we'll get a thousand episodes. And we would laugh about it like, Oh, we made it up to 500. And it was like, Yeah, it only took 10 years. And so you, <laughs> you're like, It was like a joke. And then you hit a thousand episodes and you're completely blown away. Like, you're like, I can't believe that that happened. And then we hit 2000, then we hit 3000. And along the way there, one day I was like, I wonder how many series we've actually gotten on the air. That's a, I bet it's a pretty big number. And it was like 52. And we had never even counted that before. And we were just shocked, like, wow. So that's the moment where you look back and you're like, oh, uh, oh, okay, that's cool. We we must've done something right along the way. I don't remember any day where I felt awesome. (laughs) But looking back, We must've done something right at some point.
0: Chopped is one of those shows that it hasn't been done before, before the show came on the air. Where did the concept come from? Because it's an amazing idea. And it's it's gotta be, how did you guys come up with, you're gonna open this mystery basket? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know what to expect.
1: We were, again, creating shows constantly. Um, and I had a pitch coming up with the Food Network. Uh, the executive was Charles Norlander, uh, who's, who's this crazy smart, um, very well put together television executive. Very, as I say, very smart, intimidating. Um, intimidating presence, really nice person. Um, and I just didn't have... I had a couple things that we were, that we were thinking about pitching, but I didn't have anything I loved. And at that point we were working with um, this guy, Mike Krupat and he was based in LA and Cleve and I were in New York and I was on the phone with Mike and Mike said, Mike and I had talked a lot about this show, Elimidate. Um, we just thought the format was amazing. Even though the show was fairly frivolous, it was one woman dates, these four guys, And along the way, she gets rid of one, then gets rid of the second one, then gets rid of the third one, and then there's one guy left. So you can see how Chopped came from this. And, you know, and then it's a dumb show. At the end of the episode, she jumps into the jacuzzi with whatever guy is left. And we were just obsessed with how cool that format was. And so Mike called and he was like, well, what if we did an eliminate style format um, for cooking competition? And at that point, Food Network had on Iron Chef and it did well, but we had analyzed Iron Chef, getting ready to pitch Food Network. And we realized like, look, this has a great beginning. You, there's so much energy and it has a great ending. Somebody wins, but in the middle, it kind of slowed down. And we're like, I wonder if there was, there's something we could do to Iron Chef. to. So Mike says, well, what if we do eliminate and I just like, essentially the whole show at that point came in the next five, 10 minutes. Like I was like, that is brilliant. You are insanely smart. Like this is unbelievable. And there's four chefs down to three, down to two. And I was like, to, there's, you know, that dome thing. He, he can lift up the at the commercial break, he lifts it up. And then that we cut to commercial and then he comes back and that's the meal that's been eliminated. And then Mike's like, there, Mike's like, there's, there's three competitions: appetizer, main course, dessert. I was like, yes, yes, yes. And then it's, wait, he can say you've been chopped. That's the show title. It's called Chop. So the, the whole thing, um, I don't think it was a basket at first. I think it was a steel box. You know, it was like, what if it's this steel box? But it very similar. So I went in and pitched it to Charles Norlander at the Food Network. And he, as I said, the guy's really smart. He got it right away and was like, this could do really well. And they called back a couple of weeks later and, uh, and said, yeah, we want to move ahead with a pilot. The, the process there then took at least a year and a half more. Um, We ended up having to do two different pilots. And finally that second pilot was picked up to series. Um, And then, you know, it finally premiered and, you, you never know. I Obviously, at that point, in 2009, I didn't think it would still be on the air in whatever year this is. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. We always have said, um, there was a talk show host back in the day, even kind of before I was young, uh, Merv Griffin. I kind of may, maybe remember my grandmother watching him. Um, Merv one day, because I might butcher this story a little, but him and his sister loved playing Hangman. Merv was like, I'm going to take Hangman and I'm going to turn it into a big, giant, shiny game show and add this huge, colorful wheel. And the and he created Wheel of Fortune. Wow. And then on a plane with his wife, um, I think she had even fallen asleep or something happened and... And then he, he was looking for another game show, looking for another game show. And I don't know if it was him or his wife, but one of them were like, well, let's do every trivia show. You get the question and then you have to come up with the answer. What if this is a show where we give you the answer? You have to come up with a question. And so that was Jeopardy. And so you know Merv Griffin, who's no longer with us, created two shows that are still on the air today. That's insane. That television, as I say, on the one hand, creating a particular episode is like a sandcastle you it's beautiful and it's gorgeous and then it gets washed away but you can also create a brand that lasts long after you're around you can create a franchise you could create law and order you know is still going in one way or another um all of these kind of crazy you know saturday night live or the today show or the tonight show or Meet the Press has been on the air for like a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> the longest running show in television history, Meet the Press. Um, so that's the amazing thing is you can come up with something that lit, you know, it- if you're lucky, if it all comes together, you can come up with something that lives beyond you.
0: When you have those shows go into pilot, Are you more now in the background or do you still play a big involvement with the show?
1: The way we kind of describe it is when you're creating a show like we do, so these formats, these game shows, competition shows, talk shows, things that can last for a long time, what you're really doing is creating a machine. You're creating a factory, a team of people who all know their part and if everything then falls into place, you know, by the time you get to episode 23, 24, 25, everything's working and it's a machine that keeps going. So we create the idea, we pitch the idea, we sell the idea, we build the pilot, we bring in the show runner, the editors, the lighting designer, the set designer, um, all the host, all of these different elements. And then you're watching and in charge of every single thing right up until the point where you don't need to be anymore. And all these questions stop coming. There's, con- there's so many questions when you're everything. I mean, if- when you're building a TV show, everything is a question for Cleve and I at one point or another. And, you know, and then it's uh, a discussion or a wrestling match with the TV executives, depending on the question you know, who's the host? Does he hold a card or does she hold a card or does she not hold a card? Does she have a monitor? How does she say the introduction? How does she ask the question? What does the board look like? What does the sound, what is the sound effect sound like? All of these things are things, is it a white floor or a black floor? Uh, All of these things are decisions that have to be made. And then once you've made those decisions, how is a question written? Is this a good question or is this a good question? Or are they both good questions? What about this kind of question? And then once those things happen and they start, and then again, and you hire the best people you can possibly hire, you can start to back away and start to back away. And then by the time it's on episode, as I say, 24 or 42 or whatever, um, then you can relax a little. And then how do we get to season two? How do we get to season three and how do we build the franchise?
0: When you were creating America Says, were you always looking at what game shows have been out there, but what hasn't been done before and how we can create that new concept?
1: Constantly, that's all we do all day, constantly. What hasn't been done, what hasn't been done. Um, what do people love? And then how can we do it differently and better and more modern and more exciting or funnier? Or what, uh, what can we do where someone like yourself, or my grandmother, or my mom, or my cousin, my South Jersey relatives, <laughs> or my oh, Ohio relatives, what can we create where they're gonna watch and love and talk to the TV and, and, and yell out answers? Or in the case of Chopped, where you're sitting there going, oh, I think he's gonna get chopped. I think she's gonna win this. She's the best. Oh my gosh, that dessert looks amazing. What do you think Zacharian's going to say? What do you think Gordon Shelley's going to say? Like, if you're, ta- if they're talking to the TV, we've won. But it's, in order to get to that place, it's crazy hard.
0: I mean, I remember a moment, my, I was walking into my mom's house, and she's watching America Says, and she's screaming <laughs> at her TV the answers, and I'm
1: like, I love your mom. I love your mom. I always have. She's a smart lady with oh, who makes great choices.
0: Jealous right now that I'm talking to you, but <laughs> she loves that show. And my family, we would all sit together watching shops. That's how I kind of started cooking myself. Was working. oh, awesome! And it's just amazing to hear the behind the scenes of how it was created. Because America says I always got like family feud vibes. Because of course, America, yeah. Question, and they give their their answers and. It's just an easy concept. It kind of goes back to where we talked about making it simple for us as viewers, well, it, it's such a simple concept that we can understand. And it's If not- you
1: think about it, there's so many different, over the years, there's so many different trivia games, right? Um, Millionaire is a trivia game, but Jeopardy's a trivia game and like sale of the century is a trivia game. And there's, there's just hundreds of different trivia games. Weakest link is a trivia game. Uh, the wall, all of these different games where there's a question and an answer. Family Feud is a polling game. It's different, right? It's, you know, top five answers on the board. Here's the question. Um, and so what Cleve and I were focusing on at that point in time was there's only been a handful though of polling games and they're all kind of great. Like even the ones that didn't do well, there's an element of, of greatness to it because with a trivia game, if you hit too many questions in a row, that the viewer's not in, that some viewer's not interested in, then they probably won, will not continue with the game. That's kind of the, the thought process behind uh, trivia games. But with polling games, everyone feels like they have an answer. And what really clicked with us was two things. One was putting a clock on the whole thing. If you, what we found out as we did the, the test runs, if you put a clock on a polling question and give someone the first letter of the answer, and you say, you have to answer. We're not going to go to the next player until you answer something. Then inevitably they say the funniest thing ever. And that's just, it's just once that started to happen, you know, it was, I remember very early on in one of the tests, it was, it um, was, uh, uh, what do I think? What, what are you really thinking when you're at church? And the, the answers were amazing because the answers were football and lunch and you know, God. And like, no one, there was a giant G on the board and no one could come up with, and they were saying gobstoppers. It's so funny. Like, cause the clock, you know, they want to win no matter who, even if you're playing in the, the, you know, with test audiences, everybody wants to win. We all want to win the game. And we're when we, when we do these tests, they're just playing for gift cards. And, you know, it's like, We're going to give everybody a gift card anyway. And then the person, the people who win will give you two gift cards. So it's the prizes are not huge, but people want to win. So they're, they're in that test. And I, I play the host when we do these run throughs and I am not a comedian, right? Like I'm not a funny person, but during that show, during those run throughs, people were laughing so hard. They were playing along and they were laughing so hard. And we just knew it was a hit show. Like, we're like, this is a hit. This is definitely a hit because you just say, what's the best thing about camping? And you know, the, it, and there's an F on the thing for and it's food. It's the food, it's eating the food or there's a M it's marshmallows. And you say the best thing about camping and the guy says, oh, it's my mom. And it's, it's just funny. It's like, because you think whatever the first thing you're thinking of is usually wrong. And it, you always think of the funniest, it's just so, it's a funny, funny game. So then you add somebody like John Michael Higgins, who's a, like a legitimate funny person. <laughs> and it's amazing. Like all he has to do is raise an eyebrow and the whole place goes crazy.
0: Of all the shows that you've created, what has been your favorite?
1: I mean, I always say Chopped because <laughs> for the obvious reasons. Um, it's weird. Like we create so many shows that like, I fall in love with shows all the time. Like Cleveland college. will be like, I don't I like just some idea that she dreamed. Like this has happened or I come up with an idea. I'm like, Cleve, what do you think? And then we just fall in love with them. Like, it's like, this is amazing. Oh my gosh. This, this could go forever and last for. 100 years and you just have to know that 99 times 950 times out of 951 it's not gonna work but we fall i fall in love with every show is the real answer you just fall in love and then sometimes along the way in the production things don't work and then you look back and you're like oh that's too bad the idea was so good but then this one element never works or then sometimes everything works and it's amazing and it's the greatest experience ever and it just it doesn't get picked up for season 3 that re- that happened a couple months ago um, and you're like that was the greatest show like how is that not getting a season 3 but it's you know it's beyond anything oftentimes it's beyond anything that i can do
0: would you ever want to participate in any of the shows that you've created like
1: <laughs> American like with your- chopped, by the way, an insanely hard show. I mean, there are chefs that I know are insane, amazing chefs that have, have done it two or three times and got knocked out every time. It's an insanely hard show. I could never do it. It would be a joke. Um, I. It's weird. Not really. I guess if somebody called and said, "Hey, um, we would love you to to be on America," says I would do it just for the just because it would be funny. about how bad Cleve and i would be um but no i like i i've never my brother is the on-camera person and so like i've always kind of thought that's what he was made for he should be on camera and um i am my goal is to create the next survivor or the next america's got talent or deal or no deal or wheel of fortune or family feud or chopped or america says
0: How did you want it to transition and start doing keynote speaking?
1: Oh, wow. I mean, that was literally because I was invited. Oh, you know what it started was panels. I started doing panels and that just happens, right? You get invited on a panel. And then I realized I wasn't bad at it. I was like, people came up and said, you're good at this, can you be on this panel? And so I did a lot and then eventually um, someone said, hey, will you speak at my event? And I had an absolute blast. And I, there are just simple rules and things that Cleve and I have, uh, things that we live by, things that we apply every day that sometimes people uh, are interested in.
0: Do you take the same skills of when you're in doing a pitch to when you're giving a presentation to an audience?
1: It's definitely 100%. I. I have learned to speak in a way (laughs) I think at least that keeps people's attention, I guess. And then just different things. Like I know funny stories that work in pitches and I'll use them in a talk or all these are the, I speak to a bunch of uh, like college classes and stuff like college uh, students and um, you know, things that work if they laugh or if they're like, Oh, you know, you can tell when all of a sudden everyone starts writing stuff down Oh, maybe I've said something cool, um, but it's the a hundred percent. It's the pitching. I mean, we, do, I don't know how many pitches we do a year, but it's in the hundreds and we've been doing it for 15, 20 years. So. so all of that pitching and when we pitch, it's, it's all designed. Everything is worked out, not necessarily word for word, but all the bullets, all the things we, we know we have to hit this beat. We know we have to hit this beat. We have to get from here to here, to here, to here, to here, to here. here. And we're going to start like this and we're going to end like this. And so um, that ability, that's kind of what I've taken into keynote speaking.
0: I love seeing when you post on LinkedIn or Instagram about your journey or that experience for the day. And I think you just recently did one where you gave a buzzer to the people that you're pitching. (laughs) They were just not into it. They just hit that buzzer. And I'm like. That's really smart. Like, I mean, it's just a simple thing, but it gets, keeps it going. So you're not taking so much time on something they're not interested in at all.
1: It was when near the beginning and at that point in time, um, networks really wanted the great idea. What's the great idea. That's simple, which they still do. But at that point, you could pitch five shows in a meeting. that's, You can't really do that as much now, but I was like, all right, if they'll let me pitch five times in a meeting, I'll pitch five times in a meeting. That's let's do it. Let's get five amazing shows. And what you learn early on, obviously is you don't know. They're not going to be interested in that show because they've done a pilot that's like it, or they're not going to be interested in that show because they just tried something on Tuesday nights and that didn't work or what they really need is something like this. So one day I was frustrated by a pitch and was like, uh, and it was uh, a lot of it. What I hate is the moment where, you know, they're not going to buy it, but you're only 15 minutes in and they have to be polite with you. So they're going to let you talk for the next 10 more minutes about the show that they're not going to buy. You can see it in their eyes. So I was like, uh, I want to be able to pitch more. I want to be able to give them all the control. So I would go into the room. I, I start off with the, you know, the board game taboo tab, the board game taboo has a buzzer. So I just literally brought my taboo buzzer when I started this. And I would sit the buzzer down and I said, no, this is crazy. I know it's completely crazy. Just go with it. I have five show. i say it was the food network or TLC or whatever. I have five show ideas. I can pitch them all in five minutes or less. But if you don't like something, just hit the buzzer. It's, it's great. Past, just say you don't even have to say, just hit the buzzer, and I'll ask you why. Like, because my goal is to triangulate to come up with your next gigantic hit show, so just tell me why, and then hopefully, either today or in the future, I'll come back with something better. And there were people that loved it like, loved, and then would be like, who would call and say, You haven't been in for a while, you gotta come, I love this. And then there were people that hate, there were people that were scared, like, literally you'd set the buzzer down and they would like back away. Like I'm not touching that thing. And they would never touch it. And it got to the point where we even made our own buzzers. So we had like this big giant fun. And then if they wanted to, there was like another sound effect and applause or whatever. Um, but what was cool uh, was a couple of things. One, it gave them the whole, it said to them, look, your time is valuable and I want you to control this meeting. Look, hit the buzzer in 30 seconds, five times, and I'll be out of here in three minutes. It's totally fine with me. Um, It put them in control. And then it was fun, right? Like it brought fun to something that should be fun, which is making television. Too often in TV, there's too many serious people or too many bitter people or too many jealous people or too many angry people. TV should be fun. It should be professional. It should be really well-made but there should be joy in it, especially when you're creating game shows and competition shows or sitcoms or comedies. There should be nothing but joy. And so the buzzer gave everyone in the room permission to have fun and be joyous. Uh, But the most important thing by far, more than any of it, was that it was memorable and different. And everyone remembered it and everyone talked about it. Um, this is awkward, but true. Um, years later, I think even years after I started pitching with a buzzer and I, I think at, at this point, maybe we had just stopped or, or kind of moved to a place where you're only pitching one or two shows. I was in a restaurant in New York city with a friend of mine and we were having dinner and at the next table over a couple, uh, feet away, but, and it was a dark restaurant. Um, there was a group of people and they were TV executives. And I was facing my friend, so my back was to them. And we were at a booth, they were at a table. But I could, I, I, I kind of looked over and I knew ish who was there. So I said to my friend like, oh, is that so-and-so? And he looked, he's like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so and so-and-so, people that we know. And there was network executives and there was production company executives. And at one point in the meal, I heard the word buzzer <laughs> and I was like that's a weird word it, like either those are game show people or someone's talking about my crazy buzzer and um, so I like listened and the friend I was with I was like did you and he was like I don't know. and they were talking about me and the interesting thing is is some of the people were not being nice and they were saying what a goofball, like he's not serious at all. I wouldn't, I remember this guy saying, I could never do that. I would never ever do that. That just, it's ridiculous. It's silly. And there was a woman there who I'm not even sure at that point she had ever bought anything from me. Um, and so I. She, I. She. she was not my favorite TV executive. My favorite <laughs> TV executives, not so coincidentally, are people who buy things. Um, so she was not my favorite, but she said, um, you know, yes, I guess it was silly. And I, and she's like the, the first couple of times he brought it in, I wouldn't touch the buzzer, but I'll tell you what, everyone remembers it and everyone talked about it. And she's like, and look at, we're still talking about it. And I, that moment taught me so much, um, the, especially in show business, But I think almost in anything, the main goal is that people remember you, right? Like which, I don't know, which app to to sign up for, which board game to buy, which TV show to watch, which thing, movie, Netflix movie, which anything, which couch to buy, which car to buy, which soda you like. Well, the first thing you have to do is remember it. (laughs) If you don't remember it, you're not going to do it you're not going to buy it and um uh, simon cowell i i after that buzzer thing it hit my brain of like well you got to be memorable somehow people need to remember you and at one point i heard simon cowell in an interview saying the most important thing about being famous the most important thing in show business the first most important thing is being mem- someone has to remember you, you have to be memorable You also have to be talented. You also have to be creative. You also have to be a great storyteller. You also have to be all these other things. But the most important thing is to be remembered. And so I'm happy. That buzzer works so well. It literally tripled tripled our sales the first year we did it. That's
0: that's amazing. (laughs) Selling tool for a lot of people now,
1: using that buzzer. Use the buzzer, But but more than anything, what makes you, you, what makes you memorable? And then what makes you money? Figure that out and that's, that's gold in the middle there. What makes you, you, so you're so happy. What makes you memorable? Where people are like, oh, I remember that person, that thing, that product. And then what, what makes you money?
0: Well, it's like when you say memorable, it's like sometimes these shows that were on years ago. Like there's a show that was on Nickelodeon called Legends of the Hidden Temple. It was <laughs> in the 90s before I was even born, or I was probably born the last season. But it's a show that people still talk to about today. And
1: absolutely great example. Great example.
0: I actually got to interview the host from back that, that show. And it's like the fan base will come and find it and they'll watch it. It'll go viral. People will talk about it, go training and that's how things keep going. Or TV execs are like, should we try to reboot this or
1: something? 100%. If I ran Netflix, I would reboot that show right away for this exact reason you're talking about. It's so weird. And yet just the title alone, legends of the hidden temple is brilliant. It's brilliant.
0: It's so memorable. Looking back at your journey and your career so far, what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself?
1: Um, it's well, it's funny you asked, sir, um, because Cleveland and I were talking about today, hours ago, um, why we have lasted for such a long time together. I first met her in 2003, so we are coming on 20 years. Yikes. In a couple of years, Um, but certainly 18 years. Right. And then we, the, the first show she ever pitched to me, I sold. And and I said to her, I'm going to sell that show to AMC. And I sold it to AMC in a phone call. And then it took me a couple of years to get her to join me. I, I was like, you're, you're a great show producer, but, you're an amazing show creator. Let's work together. And we've been together ever since. And I th- we think the reason is because we both have this thing inside of us that we want to make big, fun, we call them big tent, blue sky, eight to 88 television shows. Blue sky means shiny, colorful, gorgeous, everybody wants to watch this show. It's no, there's nothing cynical about it. It's fun. It's a great time. One of our big phrases is great times. We're just looking for great times. It's the greatest, uh, big tent. We just want everyone to watch it. Every type of person. We want to make a show that everybody loves, which is probably impossible, but we're trying. And then eight to 88, I want, I have a 13 year old daughter and then I have a 98 year old grandmother. I wanna make a show that they can both enjoy that. And Cleve has the same thing. Um, TV sometimes is very hard and there's a lot of really hard people to deal with in television for many reasons. Um, And as I've said, like, there's a lot of failure. If you wanna look at it as failure, there's a lot of people passing, there's a lot of no's. Uh, So it helps that the two of us have this same core truth that we wanna create the next big, gigantic hit show. As I say, the next Survivor, American Idol, Deal or No Deal, et cetera, et cetera.
0: So what does the future look like for you personally and professionally? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years?
1: Create the biggest show ever. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That was the goal. Almost right away. Like, at first, it was just to get anything on the air. But once Cleve and I really started going, 2009, 2010, 2011, after that, the goal has just been, let's create the show. Let's create, I don't know, what's the greatest show? What's the greatest unscripted show in the last 10 years? 20 years? Survivor, maybe? Or America's Got Talent? The voice, what's the greatest show in the last 50 years? Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, Family Feud. It's not one of ours. And that's the goal, is for it to be ours.
0: For someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give someone to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge?
1: It's the, what I like to say is in business, and I've talked to a bunch of different groups now, real estate groups, people that own and run gyms, um, biz- just different business groups. I like to say, in business, you can literally, not only you, you there, there can be no fear, but you just have to pretend that it doesn't exist. You have to figure out how to turn the negative into the positive. And so as as I was saying earlier, it helps to just know it's not 29 times that you're failing. It's that you literally have to pitch 30 times to get the yes, you have to do it. And then once you get the deal, you need four deals to get a series. And then once you get a series, you need eight series for one to be a hit. So the math on that, I think, is 960. And you can't think of it as failing 959 times. You have to just think of it as 959 steps to get to 960. It's kind of like making cupcakes. You can't just have a cupcake that's gorgeous and beautiful and delicious that you can just chomp into. You got to get the milk out of the refrigerator and you got to get the flour and you got to mix it and there's eggs and you got to cook it you got to it's got to be perfect you got to you got to make the icing it's got to be perfect you got to add the food coloring and the flavoring and whatever and then you swirl it on beautifully and then it has to cool and then you sprinkle some stuff on top and then that's the cupcake and now you can eat it you can't just get the milk out and then look down and go where's my cupcake don't think of any of it as a failure. It's just a step towards the biggest hit show of all time. Now, how many pitches would it take to get the biggest hit show of all time? I don't know. I will tell you when it happens.
0: I'm going to be going after this interview, just coming up with a bunch of ideas and be like, ooh, that could be a hit. A hit. <laughs> I don't. Here, Dave, take it and run with it. <laughs>
1: Well, Dave, I want to thank you so
0: much for coming on the show. It was truly an honor to hear all about your rise to the challenge. And we're excited to see what the future looks like for you.
1: Thank you so much. What a fun podcast this is. It's very different. It's very unique. And every episode that I've listened to is fun. And that's, that's very, I, I love it. It's great times. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow
0: and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full length episode of Video Format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.